Hello, once again, welcome back to the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk. I'm your co-host, Jack Sneflin. And joining us this week, we have... Sarah Hollowell. And this week, we are talking about the Twilight movies, all five of them, because they are the highest grossing vampire and werewolf movies out there. Honestly, it's not even surprising that that's the case. <laughs> no. They're very fun movies. What's its competition? Would that be like the Underworld movies? Yeah. Interview with a Vampire. Yeah, Interview with a Vampire was our highest grossing vampire film after we got rid of all the multiple monster movies. And then I think for Werewolves it was Wolf from 1994, which no one had ever fucking heard of. For good no. reason. It's got Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer in it, and it's still somehow bad. James Spader, too. Okay. Yeah. I've never heard of this. Yeah. I think it's worth watching once. Just to understand what they were trying to do. I think that is one too many times to watch that movie. <laughs> but we're not talking about Wolf enough. Not talking about Wolf. We're talking about Twilight. And we wanted to bring you on because you have more of a history of Twilight than we do. And also I feel like there are so many shitty hot takes about Twilight that we need someone who can like <laughs> come at this from a place of, of some kind of love to balance that out. I'm good at that. I, I do love Twilight. I went through a while where I hated it, but I am back to having a pure Twilight love light. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I think there's some interesting things that Twilight does. I think there are some very problematic things that Twilight oh, does. Yes. <laughs> and I definitely went through a period of very vehemently hating Twilight, but I've grown as a person and I've also watched Lindsay Ellis' video apologizing to Stephanie Myers. <laughs> And felt bad, and so have adjusted myself. Mm -hmm. I just realized that Rosalie Cullen is the best and most important. Of anyone ever, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So we're just going to kind of do brief summaries, because if we try and summarize everything, we'll be here all day. Hopefully you already know the plot of Twilight. So Bella Swan moves back in with her father after her parents have separated for ten-some like, years ago to Forks, Washington. Starts her sophomore, junior year of high school there. Junior. Junior. Becomes... Fascinated, I guess, with a mysterious boy named Edward Cullen. Finds out that he is, in fact, a vampire. They begin a relationship. Some less nice vampires are in town murdering people, find out about Bella, and want to eat her. The Cullens don't like that, and then they fight. Yeah. Also, they play baseball. Which is very important. It's very important. And this is the only Twilight movie directed by a woman, and it shows? Because it's actually, like, a genuinely good movie. You can definitely tell that this is directed by a woman because you can see her attempting to push back against the abusiveness that's inherent in the relationship between Bella and Edward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's always this tension there when those moments come up and in all of the subsequent films, they're all played straight. Honestly, in some films to a comedic degree. Yeah, Eclipse Onward is where Edward becomes just completely insufferable and bonkers. <laughs> I mean, I know we'll get there, so I'll have to talk about it now, but like, there's literally a part where he's like, I have to decide if I'm okay with Bella freezing to death or if I can get over my jealousy of her snuggling a warm boy. <laughs> <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, Edward. Although the best form of Edward is when he's a sarcastic ghost in the second movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love Edward in Twilight because Edward in Twilight just kind of comes off as like a dork. Because when I was in high school, he seemed so mysterious and smooth and mature. And then watching it as an adult, I was like, oh... He's a big nerd who's just really awkward with the girl he likes. This is so cute. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of goes away. It's actually kind of sad. <laughs> Part of that awkwardness is just from he's over 100 years old and he is not always able to adapt well. No. <laughs> he's definitely little C conservative mm -hmm. and traditional. And that 
kind of plays into the relationship going forward with his views on uh, premarital sex and everything like that. There is a weird Cullen's traditional versus Anna Kendrick and Co. as modern company thing mm. going on. I don't have much beyond that. But <laughs> much like in Dracula, how Dracula represents his whole world and a lot of the main characters have like typewriters and guns and shit. Parallels. Is... Although in Twilight, obviously, the vampires do have all of the most modern technologies because the vampires in Twilight are super fucking rich. He also has Charlie Swan, who is great. Yes, because Billy Burke is perfect. Mm, he is. Honestly, Charlie is probably one of the best characters throughout the entire series. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, dude, you're the bomb. He, he does do that kind of like, mm, uh, you're dating my daughter, let me just clean my shotgun thing. But weirdly, it doesn't bother me the way that normally would. I also, think... I don't think that's until the next movie. Mm, sure. He does it a little bit like when he first meets Edward, but he also, I think what helps is he doesn't do it in Edward's presence. Like he's not actually threatening Edward. He seems to just kind of be, he's not serious about it. He's making the joke because it's the joke you make. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, it's like if Bella did get hurt, he totally would hunt Edward down. But it's not in a like, if you besmirch my daughter's innocence. <laughs> yeah, and it's also more so he just doesn't like Edward because he doesn't do the same thing with Jacob. That's true. No. Yeah, because I mean, it's because Jacob's, you know, like family friend, been there since... Jacob is a known quantity. Jacob is yeah. safe. Edward is mysterious boy who's... <laughs> One of my favorite parts, actually, is when he asks Bella if she's seeing any of the boys in town, and Bella says no, and then when she says he's seeing, she's seeing Edward, Charlie's like... I thought you didn't like any of the boys in town. And Bella's like... Edward doesn't live... In town, technically. (laughs) (laughs) I love Bella. I think her character gets kind of weird at points, but when she's good, she's so good. Right. I know there's a lot of, like, Bella is a blank slate thing, but honestly, I'm not sure if it's just, like, Kristen Stewart or what, but there's, like, a lot of characterization to her as a person. It's not like she doesn't have characters, she doesn't have a lot of hobbies. Yeah, in the books, her hobbies are, like, she reads Jane Austen and (laughs) Jane Austen and Shakespeare There's kind of like an element of like not like other girls-ish because she likes books, but not those crappy books. She likes the classic novels, but I feel like that doesn't really come through as much in the movie, which I like. I like that she just she's awkward and she doesn't think she's better than anyone. Right. She's just an awkward teenage girl. There's some tomboyishness to her, but it's not in a like not like other girls kind of way. Just mm-hmm. to say like I'm not good at that stuff, so I'm not gonna try. I mean, I think also for a long time her hobby was taking care of her mother. Mm, sure. Like we don't see that. We get told it in the movies. But to me, that would make sense as to why she didn't necessarily develop a lot of her Yeah, her mom definitely seems really flighty and kind of having to be a foundation for her. It makes sense why Bella is the way that she is. Yeah. Which also, like, that narrative sounds fascinating. I'm sad we don't get more of that. That's kind of a theme with the film and from what I know secondhand, the books, is that there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the background that is ignored for the problematic and cliched romance of Bella and Edward. Yeah, definitely. Because, like, that's part of why I talk about, the, like, all of the other Colons being so interesting is their backstories are all really interesting. I don't know, because, like, I can think of, I can see all of the ways their backstories influence them as characters, but we just don't get to actually spend that much time with them. That makes me sad. <laughs> we get the Colin backstories and I think, like, Eclipse Onward, which is movie three. And I wish we had them in the first movie so we'd ha- we'd know who they are with each thing going forth. And that would make yeah. them stronger. 
Yeah, I think you get more of them in the first book, but I could be lying. Don't trust me on that. It's been a long time. I know you get Edwards. Like, you get Edwards right away, I think. Right. But you don't really get anyone else's. Honestly, kind of doling them out across the series probably would have been a good idea, too. Hmm. Yeah, because you don't want you also don't want the movie to just backstory. Here's another backstory. Here's another backstory. Here's another backstory. It would kind of get yeah. intense. Yeah. Also, something that is very different about the first film in comparison to all the others that we haven't talked about yet: the filter. I was just thinking they're all blue. <laughs> oh, except Bella's truck because she doesn't fit in. I like the color symbolism <laughs> in the first movie a lot. It makes me happy. There's also the apple in that scene. That is. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I. No, I was just talking to a friend about this because we saw Twilight in theaters and we were huge Twilight fans. And we were talking about how we remember the reaction in the theater when that happened because everyone was so excited because everyone recognized the book cover, of course. And everyone was so excited. And I still, a part of me when I see that, I was like, that's nice. I mean, (laughs) it's cheesy, but it's nice. It's It's very very contrived. (laughs) That's not how anything works. So for people who somehow don't know, uh, the cover of Twilight is like two hands holding an apple. And there's a bit where Bella drops an apple and Edward like hacky sacks it up into his hands and holds it. And I love to hacky sack apples. <laughs> He's a teenage boy in the early 2000s. Yeah, he plays hacky sack. Yeah. I wouldn't fault the film too much for the nod to the cover in there. But during the credits, they're all black and white. And they redo that scene, but the apple <gasps> oh, is still yeah. red. And I I'm just like... Now you're double dipping, and it's very <laughs> obvious. Yeah, that was a little unnecessary, because uh, it was like, the people who got it already got it. It's your fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, like, Twilight has two little, like, nods to fans, because Stephanie Meyer is also in the cafe at one point. Yes. Mm-hmm. Stephanie Meyer seems like a nice person. Yeah. She seems chill. I always heard she's really nice to her fans. <laughs> she's okay with fan fiction, which I think is an important thing for a popular writer to be. Yeah. One other thing that it... The blue filter makes different than all the other films. It makes everything feel more overcast, and it makes it more believable that these vampires are out and about during the day and not sparkling all the time. And they kind of just give that up in the next few films. It's not so much in New Moon, but that's more so because vampires aren't heavily involved for most of that film. Mm -hmm. But uh, Eclipse onward, it's just... How are they not sparkling? And even the effects that they use are much more subtle there than they were in the first film. It's honestly kind of disappointing. Yeah, because it is described in the books and you do see it like in the first couple as like really like diamonds. Mm -hmm. Like they're literally, I don't know, isn't there an expert who's like diamonds? Uh, Emma Frost, yes. Yes, it's like that. Anyway, whereas like when you see, so when you see Bella after she turns go into the light for the first time, it's kind of more like she has a really great highlight. Right. You know, and I mean, part of why they live in the Pacific Northwest is that idea of it being overcast all the time. Although I was a little confused about exactly how sunny it has to be before they'll start sparkling. Because it seems to be direct sunlight only. And by direct sunlight, we mean absolutely no diffusion which could be anything, really, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like, halogen lights should also make that happen. Unless it's like a, like a magical thing, like only the sun does it, which... I have a few things like that, where it's like... Because so, she's just, sometimes she tries to make it a little science-y, like how it's vampire venom mm. that, like, changes them. But then other times it's like, this is definitely magic-y. And I'm fine with that, personally. Oh, yeah, sure. I love it. It's just sometimes it's hard to tell what she's doing. It's almost like not all the world building is ironclad. <laughs> uh, nope. But so, some of it's great, though. Some of it's great. Speaking of things not being ironclad, if only Twilight happened and you had no knowledge of the rest of the world, you'd be like, what's Jacob doing here? He seems very superfluous. Why is he a Native American person talking about his weird wolf-based backstory that never comes up again? 
That's true. Another weird thing is Jacob talks about the pale faces, but he's just referring to white people. But you also have vampires in this narrative. It is weird that they just didn't take that and run with it. There are vampires of color in the Twilight world, but yeah. most of them are white. Yeah, you have exactly one black person in this movie who has more than one line. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, lines. no, there's there's two black people in the first film. One is a vampire, one almost hits Bella with a truck, and also kisses her on the cheek without her consent. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Yay, diversity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's the two am- vampires from the Amazon, but we don't meet them until later, and I don't think they have any lines. I think they just kind of stand there looking Amazonian. Yes. <laughs> and, like, very intense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you get the one guy who does a passports thing in that one scene that just oh, yeah. comes and goes nowhere. Okay, so I think I like about Twilight as a, as a film is there's a lot of subtle stuff in it. Like, mm-hmm. Bella and Charlie are only recently like reacquainting and they have a lot of like awkward little motions where they're trying to like, figure out what their relationship is now that they are adult man and teenage daughter instead of child daughter which is really like fun and sweet and good acting yeah yeah, yeah. no i actually like when i was watching twilight i was thinking i actually, i know people like make fun of the acting in the twilight movies but i actually really like it in this in this one um, i think especially i feel like with the cullens maybe it's because i do know their backstories and so i see it coming out you and i were talking about like jasper being super awkward but to me that makes sense because jasper's the newest vegetarian vampire and he's still not used to this whole i'm not supposed to eat people thing and he ha- but he has to be around people all the time so he has to be super super on his guard and i feel like it's just him like getting really tight trying to be like don't eat that or like how like in breaking dawn how they have to teach bella to look like she's breathing i feel like he's probably like just really focused and it makes him super awkward or like is it in twilight where edward brings bella over for dinner and rosalie like breaks a bowl because she gets so upset that bella's not hungry because <laughs> <laughs> i love rosalie because she cares very very much she cares very very deeply but it can kind of turn into like an anger thing really quickly if it seems to be not going her way yeah yeah i think all the acting is generally fine it's that they're often given w- weird lines that don't always work and it's, h- it's hard to make some of this stuff work and they do their best yeah i think the biggest problem with twilight as a film is that it has to stick to the source material the acting is great and they're doing what they can but this is the skin of a killer bill is just <laughs> this iconic dumb line <laughs> <laughs> I deeply love it. I would, yeah, no, I, I was noticing that there are times when Kristen or Robert, they'll have this look on their face after delivering a line where you can tell that they're thinking like, oh God, <laughs> what am I doing right now? Especially like that whole first biology class when they're talking, Kristen's face the entire time is just like, she can't believe what she's doing right now. She yeah. cannot believe the lines she's having to say. And it makes her come off even more awkward, which works. Yeah. But it's just kind of like, I could see yeah. her pain. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, I, and I would also like point to both of these actors' work after this. Like Both of them are incredibly accomplished. Robert Pattinson just had The Lighthouse come out. And I want to see that. It's so good. I, from everything I hear, it's phenomenal. And he does an amazing job. He's also cast as the next Batman. So both of them are incredibly accomplished actors. It's not their fault that this film feels the way it does. Also, Kristen Stewart is like wicked smart and wrote a paper about this program she designed to like make a camera do a really interesting thing if you like put different paintings into the thing. It like changes how the light works. What? Yeah. Oh. It's just this really cool, weird, like highly technical thing that she wants to like get into filmmaking and it's really cool. I'm proud of her. Yeah. All right. I know all of us really want to talk about the baseball scene, but for very different reasons. 
If you haven't seen these, you don't know this thing. The vampires play baseball when there's a storm because that way they can hit the balls as hard as they can and no one will notice because it's just more thunder. And Also, they're all old and it's America's pastime and baseball hasn't really changed in like 100 years. So there's a lot of vampires in very traditional baseball uniforms on top of a mountain running really fast with some fun special effects. And it's great. Fun is uh, doing a lot of work there. I like it because everyone's wearing uniforms except for Carlisle. He's in a cardigan and a scarf. <laughs> he looks real comfy. And that's when they officially meet the like the trio of evil vampires. <laughs> and that's like, is that the first time we see the uh, gliding effect on the vampires? Because I don't think we see Edward do it. Where it's supposed to be showing how fast they're moving, but mostly it just kind of looks like maybe they're on roller skates. Because <laughs> <laughs> they do that. I thought maybe they only do it in that movie because they realized how dumb it looked, but they do it in Breaking Dawn Part 2 in the Volturi approach. They never figure out how to make vampires moving fast look good. No, ever. never, never. It no. always looks very The silly. closest they get, I think, is an eclipse where it's less that they're showing the vampires moving at super speed and they're like walking normally, but everything around them is in like super slow-mo. And I think that would have been a much more interesting way to take it. Yeah. I think it looks better. Yeah. Oh yeah, like I liked when Bella first runs as a vampire and she sees like, you see her focusing in on all these little things in the yeah. forest mm-hmm. and like her kind of experiencing that vampire super sight for the first time yeah. while also getting the impression of how fast she's moving yeah. was really cool. Yeah. The gliding. <laughs> I guess someone's just pulling them on a cart. <laughs> I can understand all the things. Like, they can all do that gliding thing. It looks weird. But it's more of like what we do in the shadows kind of thing. It, yeah. No, it totally feels like a what we do in the shadows type thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have some other complaints about the, <laughs> the baseball scene. One, there's this it's not one... long enough. <laughs> <laughs> it goes on for far too long. Um, <laughs> There's this one point where I think it's the the trio of evil vampires. They're handing the baseball over to, I believe, Carlisle. And the baseball in his hand looks computer generated. (laughs) Why did you need to do that? I don't understand. Something somewhere went wrong, and I don't know what, but it seems like you could have just given the actor a baseball and been fine. I feel like there's a few points in those movies where you feel like maybe they just have a little budget left over. (laughs) And they were like, what can we CGI? The baseball, sure. <laughs> maybe, maybe like, no, it's pointless. Maybe they used a baseball that had like some like logo or branding on it, and later like that logo wasn't allowed to be used, so they had to like CGI over it. That makes sense. I feel like they could have done it more believably. <laughs> yes, they definitely could have. Although my biggest complaint, I have no idea why supermassive black hole from Muse is playing over this entire scene, <laughs> and then I realize, oh, this is an MTV movie. Of course, they're just using whatever's popular at the time. It's because Stephanie Meyer loves Muse, <laughs> and Muse was Stephanie Meyer actually has a whole soundtrack for the first Twilight book, and that's on it. Stephanie Meyer is a massive Muse fan. I mean, I like Muse too. But that's why it's there. It's because the fans, before the movie ever came out, we had that soundtrack. We knew what Stephanie wrote the books to, and that was on it. And if they hadn't had songs from it, it would have been... And that was a place to put it. It just makes so little <laughs> sense there. Okay, it's very early 2000s. I love it. It, it is. Question for the group. What is the appropriate song from that era to put over Vampire Playing Baseball? What? Tell me, what is the song that fits that precise movie? What year did that come out? 2008. Jesus. Same year Iron Man did. (laughs) Don't like that. (laughs) Supermassive Black Hole has the exact wrong energy for this high intensity scene. It has a baseline, but it's just, it doesn't have that high impact energy. It's a terrible choice for that scene. See, I think I like the conflict because it makes it feel super (laughs) freaking weird. (laughs) They're filming a 
scene of vampires playing baseball, <laughs> they gotta play it weird. That's true. They have to. It was still a weird choice, but they have to. <laughs> I think what I, what I wish would happen, and it's not this kind of movie, it's not, not this kind of vampires, but I want, like, take me out to the outfield, but, like, play it all, like, on a slow, off-key organ. Take me out to the ball game. Yes, that's what I said. Take me out to the... Minor key. Yeah, yeah, like a minor key. <laughs> <laughs> like in horror movies where they do the minor keys of pop songs Exactly, now that's exactly what I want. Alright, I think it's time to move on to New Moon. New Moon is a drastic shift for the series. We will never have a female director again. Never see the blue filter again. <laughs> oh no, we will. There are flashbacks. Yeah, okay. Where it gets bluer. That is very true. And we also don't have that pushback against the source material and the problematic nature of the relationship. Everything's played incredibly straight. We also get a lot more eye candy, specifically of the werewolves and whatnot. Listen, some people just need to take their shirts off when they're sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or feel any emotion. I'm not making any judgments on the eye candy. I'm just saying it's a dis- distinct change from the first one. I will say it was kind of a mistake. If only not if only because I distinctly remember being a Twilight fangirl when New Moon came out and being Team Jacob. There was kind of a problem where then we had got all this Jacob and then they showed us Edward and Robert Pattinson is an attractive man. It doesn't measure up. <laughs> Him shirtless. Also because he looked kind of sickly. Just yeah. purple. Yeah. And weird blotchy. When you have that and then you have Jacob through most of the movie, it's just like you kind of sit there going, why is she going back? Look at your man. Now back to me. Now look at your man. Now back to me. <laughs> Basically. Um, we should probably give a rough summary of the plot. Oh, of right. One. Bella goes over to Edward's house for dinner, gets a small cut, some of the vampires freak out, Edward throws her through a wall. That makes it better. <laughs> Injures yeah. her more. They all decide to leave for her safety. Bella has a breakdown, understandably, and starts doing risk-taking things because it lets her kind of have these visions of Edward and it's how she's processing things. Meanwhile, Jacob, old family friend, is helping comfort her through things, helping her process some of the stuff, and also he's turning into a werewolf because his whole family turns into werewolves at a certain age and also other stuff. We'll get into it later. And that's all going fine. And then Bella throws herself off a cliff for, you know, adrenaline junkie reasons. And Alice has a vision of this happening and assumes that she's dead because she can't see through the werewolves. They, like, mask her visions and stuff. Edward hears about this and is like, oh, Bella is dead. I had no reason to live anymore. I will take off my shirt in the middle of Volterra and the Volturi (laughs) who are... A bunch of evil vampire lords will repeat a pieces to keep our secrets. And then Bella flies over there and is like, no, no, don't. And he's like, oh, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Getting a few things out of the way. This film is not great when it comes to suicide. The way that Bella's risk-taking and Edward's thing, like, the film does not do a good job to dissuade the audience that suicide is not a valid choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And especially when you are marketing things toward impressionable teenagers, eh, probably not a great idea. I, I mean, can see that. I mean, look at look at all the shit that went down with 13 Reasons Why. But that's because 13 Reasons Why directly shows a suicide scene, which everyone tells them not to do. New Moon has a really special place in my heart because I was in an abusive relationship very similar to Edward and Bella's at the time I was reading these books. And it, it helped me kind of deal with it because it, for a while it made me go, okay, this is good. This is romantic because Edward's romantic. But then when the discourse happened, I was able to go, oh shit, if the Edward's 
bad? Is my thing bad? And Bella's depression and all of her risk-taking after that was really similar to things that I went through when my boyfriend kind of disappeared in similar ways. So to me, it was just, like, really relatable. Like, that's how it felt more than anything to me. I think also, I never got the sense Bella was... And I think she even directly says multiple times, she was never trying to kill herself. She was only trying to put herself in danger. I still, it's, I think it's the sort of thing where it's like, it's one of those complicated things I think could yeah. kind of go either way. Like, yeah. the I, wrong people could be influenced very badly by it. Yeah. Right. Honestly, <laughs> I think it, it definitely does feel very relatable, and I get where you're coming from with that. But I think it, the lens is on a kind of borderline of like, yeah, yeah. it could go either way. Yeah. Also, more, more of my qualms are, like, with how they deal with Edward's sort of yeah, thing. Okay, yeah, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, yeah. also, especially the way he's, like, well, it's it towards the beginning of the film where if I didn't have you, then I have no reason to live. And stuff like that, which also feeds back into abusive relationship stuff. I did notice they, they really lean into his suicidal urges very strongly, like, during yeah. the whole Romeo and Juliet discussion. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because they kind of wanted to draw parallels and they just kind of did it bad. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, like, yeah, I noticed he talked about it a lot. Like, he was just always casually being like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I'd love to die. <laughs> Which is a kind of running vampire thing, but... It doesn't work here. No, he does it, does it way not. too seriously. Yeah. It's that. I forgot that. And I'm remembering now when I watched it this time, I was like, that's kind of disturbing, exactly. actually. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I had completely yeah. forgotten I, I don't have as out. many problems with Bella's stuff. I think the depiction of Bella's depression is actually like, pretty spot on and like really reasonable and understandable for what she's going through. Whereas, like, Edward's, it is kind of done in that more, like, romanticized light of, like, yeah. oh, he just loved her so much, mm-hmm. which is a problem... Because the kind of kids who get into those super codependent relationships are the kind of kids who are also likely to end up being suicidal or have other mental illness issues as yeah. someone who is one of those people. So, no, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Another thing about Belle's depression that both feels real and also makes me really sad is that it seems like her friends, Anna Kendrick and Co, aren't like there for her in a way that she needs and I'm like oh Bella have closer friends I'm sorry. Yeah I mean they, they kind of do it a little more in the books they show mm. it a little bit in movies where it's in the books they spend actually a really long time trying to get through to her they try mm. to hang out with her they try to call her they try to text her they try to talk to her at school and she shuts them out and it's that thing where they are her friends, but she's been there for, like, what, seven months? Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> and so eventually they kind of have to give up on her, which is really sad. Right. But it's also, yeah. like, what do they do if they spend months and months and this girl isn't talking to them anymore? Oh, yeah. And, like, I think we've all been there with someone who we want to help, but they're not in a place where they can accept that help. And yeah. the film yeah. does at least pay lip service. There's a line from Anna Kendrick when they, like, go out shopping to the city where, like... So I was surprised you even called at all, you know? Like... Your depression thing, I get it. I'm totally, totally worried. Yeah, yeah. I kind of... <laughs> Sorry, I looked at my notes. The movie I went to see is face punch. Yes, I love it because Kristen Stewart looks like she's in pain every time she says face punch. <laughs> um, but they're like, okay, so you're getting confused. They don't go see a movie. That's Mike later who thinks it's a date. Oh, we'll yeah. get to that. Right. Yeah, Mike and Jacob and yeah. they were all, they were all going to go. I will say this for her friends. When she was ready to come back, they just accepted her. That's true. I like that. They, I mean, like, Anna Kendrick kind of makes some snide comments, but that's her character. Like, she makes snide comments. Yeah. Her speech at the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is ridiculous because the film before we see her give her graduation speech, which is great. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's about her. <laughs> 
I love that character. I remember loving that character so much before I even knew who Anna Kendrick was. It's just such an Anna Kendrick character. But yeah, like I like they do when Bella's ready to come back, they don't give her grief about it. They're just like, we're really happy mm-hmm. that you're talking again. <laughs> yeah. And then Mike immediately starts hitting on her and asks her on a date. So listen, you know, now, now that, you, you know, you're uh, talking and uh, eating again, which, you know, got a good dip protein in there. Um, I was just wondering if you, you wanted to go uh, see a movie uh, with me. Now is not the time, Mike. <laughs> but, and I like that he's kind of... Shown as the butt of the joke through the whole thing. Like, he asked her out. He's like, hey, yeah, I'd love to go see a movie. I'll let Jacob. It's sort of like nebbish Michael Sarah-ish looking guy. And then Jacob's large six packs. Love the moment in the theater, though, when she, like, looks at them and they both have their hands, like, casually positioned as if, like, oh, yeah, this is just how my hand lays up, <laughs> faced up, so that you could hold it if you wanted to. Because it felt like... To me, such a good visceral representation of what it's like to try and be friends with someone that you know is romantically interested in you and you're just trying to be friends and they're not getting it and they're trying to be super chill, but it's not working. And it was just hilarious. That does lead us into the, like, the other big problematic thing in this film and that's we also are seeing a abusive relationship stuff from Jacob. It's very mm. different. Whereas Edward is very manipulative psychologically and emotionally. Jacob is displaying much more physically abusive tendencies, uh, very violent, very angry. He never hits her, but he does that thing where it's like, you know, guys who punch walls. Yeah. Where it's like, it is still a threat. Yeah. It is still, he still has a very physically threatening presence when he's angry. Yeah. Like, I am team Jacob in kind of a, I guess that these are my options. Right. <laughs> but the boy's got a temper. And I know they, like, they play with that with the werewolf thing about, like, controlling the emotions and kind of also how, like, going through werewolf puberty makes it incredibly difficult to control your emotions. Mm. But I also don't, like, I'm iffy about that kind of thing of just excusing it as, oh, oh yeah. well, he's a werewolf. Because I never want to just be like, oh, well, he just can't control himself. It's, it's the whole boys will be boys bullshit. Yes, but with werewolves. And I also feel like the movie doesn't do enough to show that this is both out of character for him and also that he's, like, ashamed or horrified of it. Yeah, he never actually seems at all. I mean, the the same thing happens with Edward. I think these books and these films would be much more interesting if everything stayed the same, but there was more pushback and it's like, no, this is not okay behavior, and if you are in a situation like this, get out. So, odd parallel, but I'm I'm rewatching right now. So, in Teen Wolf, there's a similar thing where seminal protagonist Scott McCall can't control his werewolf emotions, and he, like, almost hits his best friend, and then he, like, looks horrified at what he does and kind of like backs up like with this look of sadness and shame and it's a really good way of showing that this is like his inner monster coming out and he doesn't like it and he doesn't want to be like that and it's why he winds up taking steps to make himself better which is a really good way to do things what's interesting is that new moon almost does that because it does that with sam and emily we get that as a backstory where sam lost control and hurt emily and, and scarred her and it is made very clear that sam feels terrible that it was something he struggled with for a very long time that they both struggled with moving past it and that now we see them at a point where they've healed Mm -hmm. so we know that they can have accountability i just don't know if maybe they can't do it unless they have actually hurt someone and they can't see the idea of oh i just scared them as being a form of abuse Mm -hmm. and they can't see the intimidation as a form of abuse they can only see it if there's blood also for folks at home sam is kind of the leader of the werewolf group the alpha Um, and only because jacob turned down the alpha role yeah which was interesting i didn't actually remember that and the werewolves are all a 
indigenous tribe to the area who have a genetic thing where they turn into werewolves in the presence of vampires. It's fine. Yeah. And that's one of the things that makes the whole Sam-Emily thing more shitty is because of the prevalence of domestic violence within the indigenous community. And having that be our example and it specifically being tied into that culture's mystical traditions Mm. is also super shitty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Twilight franchise does not always have great things of Native American representation, but on the flip side, they're probably some of the biggest films to have a lot of Native American actors front and center. Yeah, I was having a conversation with this where it's like, man, it's so confusing. I mean, I'm, I mean, for this particular case, I can't make a judgment because I'm a white person. But like, right. thinking about representation of things that are my identity, it's that thing where it's like, well, on the one side, this representation isn't great. On the other side, this is a queer person or a fat person or whoever who's getting paid and getting a job. Yeah, and the more it's... you see them, the more normalized it gets. But also it's bad. So where do we land? Yeah, it's, it's really complicated. <laughs> If any listeners out there want to dive more into it, there's actually a really great documentary about Native American actors in film called Real Engine. Yeah. R-E-E-L Engine. Okay. It's real good. Yeah, it's excellent. I highly recommend it. Is it, that streaming somewhere? Uh, at one point it was. I'm not sure if it still is. I think it was on Netflix for yeah. that, yeah. Oh, it also does a great job of recommending a bunch of Native-focused film. Nice, nice, mm-hmm. nice, nice. Moving on to lighter problems I have with the film. What is with Jacob's jorts? <laughs> That's interesting because I, no- I don't notice them, but I did notice in Breaking Dawn Part 1 when Edward's wearing these khaki shorts, and I was like, you're 109. Get some clothes. What is with Jacob's anything? So my theory is that the werewolves have just caches of clothes of different sizes hidden all throughout the woods so they can like... <laughs> they have to, because they keep, like, shredding their jorts. Yeah, we, we see the clothing pieces fly off as they turn go all wolfy. But then they show up again in another scene in their clothes. So, yeah, they have to just have clothing. Like, when people, like, climb mountains and stuff, like, sometimes previous people will have left caches of, like, things, supplies. Yeah. It's like that, but for jeans. Jorts. <laughs> it's kind of like how I assume the Cullens have, like, four or five different identities spread out all throughout the U.S. so that they can have bank accounts that are slowly accruing interest. Yeah. Yeah, as you would for an, for an immortal. Yeah. yeah. Also, so they can kind of maybe, like, hop around. They're like, okay, well, we haven't been back here for a hundred years, so they everyone's dead. We can go back now to this identity. Right, for sure. I assume. Yeah. Also, I do want to praise the movies. These werewolves look really good. Like, the CGI on these wolves is great. Yeah. It is frustrating that the film that has probably done the best job of giving us good werewolves on screen in the modern era is Twilight. (laughs) You're probably right, but only because that werewolf episode of Doctor Who is not a film. (laughs) I also feel like the werewolf lore in twilight other than like the problematic aspects like if you if i mean obviously those are important but outside of that i think her the way her werewolves work is actually really cool Mm -hmm. because one of the things i like about stephanie meyer and i like about twilight is that i think her some of her world building is incredibly interesting like i think her vampires are actually really interesting i love the idea of the newborns and how like they initially have a lot of they're really strong they have a lot of trouble kind of controlling themselves i love the werewolves i love the thing where they have more and more werewolves go through werewolf puberty when the concentration of vampires is higher in the area that's why jacob and all of his friends are suddenly going through that is because during New Moon, Victoria's already building her newborn army, and so there are more and more vampires, and they're freaking out. Or, like, in Breaking Dawn, when they bring all the vampires in, 
suddenly you have like 12 year olds turning into werewolves, which is really harmful. I think that's really cool. I like that they're the kind of werewolves that can just turn at will. Yeah. I like that they're really wolf sized. They're huge. Yeah, like they feel like, like full grown dire wolves, basically. I love that you really get into the pack dynamics with mm-hmm. them. Like they really are. They have like the whole mental thing going on, although that sounds. I'm sorry, I'm trying to imagine having to live with Jacob's thoughts in my head. <laughs> you know, does the whole thing with alphas, which is... It... Indeed inaccurate. No, yeah. it, it's completely inaccurate. It was based off of scientists observing wolves from various different packs being thrown into captivity together and trying to figure out whatever worked. But I think it's going to be a really long time before fiction gives up on it. Yeah. Because the drama of it is just too nice. It's very useful. Also... They do like live on a reservation. You could make an argument of that as a form of captivity. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, getting back to Sarah, your point about like some of the interesting stuff that Stephanie Meyer like does with the world building, I agree. I just wish that the world building is there and then it just stops. There's no commenting on it. Like, yes, I have a lot of notes about things like the Cullens actually fit this Pacific Northwest techie Silicon mm. Valley type thing of uh, exploiting the lower classes, which kind of feeds into traditional vampire of exploiting the lower classes. You can look at veggie vampires as uh, recovering alcoholics is another That's way true. to go th- through it. And they never dig deep and do yeah. anything with it. It's like, oh, here's this cool thing. And there it is. It's a cool thing. That to me is one of the most frustrating parts of the Twilight series movies and books is there are so many pieces that are so cool and very few of them you ever see used to their potential. I would 100% play a like tabletop role-playing game set in the Twilight universe. Yes. And I think that exists probably. I think part of that comes from Stephanie Meyer's uh, decision not to do any sort of like historical yeah, research about, say, about her say. mythological creatures. She's and, made up. Yeah, and she's like, okay, this is kind of you know the vague cultural osmosis stuff that I've gotten about these these creatures. I'm going to kind of do my own take on it. But then after setting up the initial things, didn't go like, okay, what can I pull from and comment on about these yeah. creatures that we've been talking about for centuries? Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of moments in Twilight where you can see the bubble Stephanie Meyer lives in as a. I don't know what her class status was pre-Twilight, but obviously after Twilight, rich, white Mormon woman, (laughs) you can see her bubble because you can see where her world building stops. There's no way she thought about how the colons exploit the lower classes. She didn't think about that at all. There's so many things where it's like she accidentally stumbles (laughs) in the commentary. It's something where it's like she does it in that way that is ignorance-based rather than like malice-based, but it also is like it can be frustrating when you are aware of things yeah (laughs) right like looking at it now it's just very apparent that this is escapist fantasy for oh yeah it absolutely was Mm -hmm. but also i think for a lot of people in different ways which is why it wound up working there's some some it's happened to some escape that people wanted to have yeah yeah. i'm I'm not necessarily dissing escapist fantasy and escapist fiction it's fine i just with someone who's as prolific as she is, I just wish there was more to it. A lot of Twilight feels very hollow. Mm. I can see that. Mm. Okay, so why don't we go ahead and move on to Eclipse, the midpoint of our conversation. This is a movie where I realized that Esme, Edward's surrogate mom, mom adopted person, that's Shirley Crane from Haunting of Hill House, and it made me so happy because I love Haunting of Hill House. The entire time I was watching Haunting of Hill House, I was like, who is she? And I looked up, (laughs) Esme. (laughs) Honestly, one of the first things I noticed in this film is 
they have drastically increased the amount of makeup that Kristen Stewart is wearing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even more so after she becomes a vampire later, but like, yeah, because yeah, like, being a vampire gives you great eyeshadow. <sighs> Her makeup in the first film is pretty subtle, and like there's the blue filter over everything that yeah. kind of obfuscates it. And She's definitely got a no-makeup makeup look. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of follows through with New Moon, uh, especially since like she's depressed for a lot of it and whatnot. But here, her and Edward are back together. She's beginning her senior year. Yeah. And it's just, oh, wow, she looks very different. <laughs> yeah, it's the sort of thing where it's like, I think you could probably argue that's like Alice's influence or whatever but more than likely they were just like we should probably make Kristen Stewart look hotter in this one <laughs> that's probably what they were thinking yeah. I don't think they were thinking character reasons <laughs> yeah unfortunately also because we're talking about these as movies I want to bring up that like they do a really good job of having the first scene with the Cullens introduce what everybody's superpowers are in a subtle way that it feels very dialogue and conversational it doesn't feel forced I appreciate yeah. that good job movie although it's still super gross that that Jasper's power is mood control it's hard to not be a bad person with that. Although he doesn't really use it that much. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like mood control. I mean, you see that in plenty of superpowers. And to me, it is weird. It's bad. Not his fault. He didn't ask for it. Oh, yeah. No, oh, for sure. Yeah. And he also doesn't use it that much. He seems to only really use it in like kind of playful situations where it's really low stakes. No one actually cares. Right. So I appreciate that. Maybe in the books it's different. I don't remember. And that feeds into the whole thing where he's like being like very stiff. He's trying not to like not to feel too many emotions, otherwise that might like vomit out people. Yeah. There's a character in Edgeman who's a villain who has the same kind of power. At one point, he has a monologue about how part of the reason he's so misanthropic is because he doesn't know if people actually like him as a person or if he's using his powers on them on accident, and he genuinely can't tell, which is really sad. He's also still still a monster, but still a complicated person. Mm, I love monsters. Yeah, the other big thing knows. Jasper finally has a personality now. Yeah. <laughs> Jasper gets to talk. Jasper just um, have words. Uh, he also plays a pretty important role in the plot. He trains the vampire and werewolves to take on the army of newborns that comes coming after Bella. Which is part of the plot. Victoria, who was the lover of the vampire they killed in the first movie, is making an army of newborns who are super strong, who are going to all come up and eat Bella and also everybody else. So the vampires and werewolves have to team up to stop them. Also, she's been recast. She's Bryce Dallas Howard now. She was someone else before. I honestly don't like Bryce Dallas Howard as Victoria because she doesn't have the anger that the previous actress did, and like her personality is like completely changed. I actually noticed that because like I do love Bryce Dallas Howard, but anytime she tried to do anger, it looked really silly. Like the way she would like pull her lips back and kind of like do this like thing, it looked. Really silly. She's just a soft little lamb. She's a little baby. <laughs> and, like, that's not the kind of anger she does. Bryce Dallas Howard is really great when she gets to do that really controlled anger, but she was trying to make Victoria too animalistic, which also mm. doesn't entirely even make sense for the character. But, I mean, I guess when she's, like, maybe at that point, she's gone so far down this road. But, yeah, she was a weird, weird Victoria, although I love her. Also, Victoria's power is apparently canonically super self-preservation. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, based on the movie, I assume it was su- like super flammability. But whatever. I was gonna say because like he throws a lighter on her and she bursts into flames. Well, I mean, all of the vampires are like that. It's like That's they're constantly true. like covered in gasoline. Like there's that part in Breaking Dawn Part Two where you see Dakota Fanning throw that child in the fire, <laughs> and the fire just goes woof. It's like what was that child? Yeah. Vampires are very. That's part of the lore. Yeah. They but, are flammable. Back to Jasper. So Jasper in the films is played by Jackson Rathbone. Great name. 
In between filming of New Moon and filming of Eclipse, he worked on another film, uh, pretty high budget. You may have heard it, The Last Airbender. <laughs> and I choose to believe that, oh, hey, you got all of this martial arts training and you are now this big name associated with this movie. That's why we're going to give you this bigger role. It's why we're going to give your character more personality and you're going to get to do more stunts because we didn't have to pay for any of that. <laughs> that makes sense. Explains a lot. And I think it explains his personality shift a little bit because he is a bit more like fun and sarcastic, much like Soka from The Last Airbender. I assume you thought I could also explain that in Twilight terms. I mean, because I, I like that they show him loosening up. I think part of that's because he's finally in his element. He's doing something he's good at, mm-hmm. which is leading armies. They somehow never really talk about the implication of him being a Confederate soldier, nope. but that's fine. Nope. Also, because I feel like he's probably gotten more comfortable with Bella. Like, I feel like that's kind of a sign of him getting more comfortable with her, yeah. too. And mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Like, the within the first few minutes, he actually cracks a joke. And it's actually one of the best jokes of the film so far. Like, <laughs> one of the best intentional jokes. After all, how many times are we going to graduate high school? Yeah, he was a Confederate soldier when he was turned. Led an army of newborns and stuff. Jackson Rothman does a cool thing where whenever he talks about his past, his, like, Southern drawl comes through. Yeah, it's I really like good. That. Yeah, I, like that. I was the youngest major in the Texas Cavalry, all without having seen any real battle. Eclipse is one of those ones that honestly just blurs so much for me. Like it's so middle. It's mm. such a middle book to me. Middle movie too. Like I just I, remember... I will say this has the best action scenes of any of the Twilight films. Yes, I would agree. They're actually filmed well. There's good fight choreography going on, and the effects don't look awful mm-hmm. it also has the tent scene oh god the, the most slashy of the scenes that's right um eclipse is the one where edward gets in the movies the most obviously abusive i think he is for most of them mm-hmm. just the fact that he sabotages bella's car to keep her from going to see jacob which is super weird super creepy super controlling and then he has to think about it when he realizes that Bella won't freeze to death if she's close to Jacob, he has to think about it. This is also the movie where Jacob kisses Bella without really yep. her wanting to, but she seems to be still trying to make these things work. Which made me write down, Bella is just playing Edward and Jacob because she wants to be immortal and she's willing to do anything to get there. Relatable. Yeah, I mean, that's the angle I put on these movies if I had to remake them, that Bella is just a steely-eyed, goal-focused person. Yeah. Maybe she's just hoping that if she's patient enough, one of them will realize polyamory exists. <laughs> okay, listen, listen. The scene where Jacob and Edward bond to the tents, and I'm like, wow, they're going to make out. And they're like, this is a thruple, a beautiful thruple. Yeah. I read that fanfic. This film is definitely the most love triangle-y of mm-hmm. the series. Oh, yeah. After this, it's kind of a non-issue. It's just established that, yeah, Edward won. Mm-hmm. And Jacob also ran. <laughs> Another weird thing about this film, and with, with, like, the action scenes, vampires in, in this film, they don't have, like, bodies filled with, like, viscera or anything. They break apart, like, they're plaster or clay. Yeah, they, I've noticed that over the over the movies. They can't seem to decide what happens to a vampire yeah, when you kill them. Yeah, because it's completely different in Breaking Dawn Part 2 and Breaking Dawn Part 1, and the and the first Twilight film. And New Moon, because they we see the Volturi kill someone, and he kind of just, like, there's, like, a partial ashing effect, like a partial Buffy sort of thing happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, like, because I remember it was, like, dark or something. Yeah, like, kind of, like, the stone, like, kind of crumbles a bit. Yeah, and then in Eclipse, it's kind of like a crystallization almost. Yeah, like, it looks like they're marble statues that they're breaking yeah. apart. It's so weird, and because we have so many action scenes and so many vampires getting hurt in this film, it just 
feel so out of place because wait was that always the case did, did i miss something there but no none of these films can come to a consensus on what it's supposed to look like when a twilight vampire dies yeah no they can't decide at all they like they have like a vague cohesion where it's you take off the head it's not blood yeah <laughs> that's about it which I think does also allow them to be a little bit more violent with their action scenes because there's no blood in them, which keeps the rating down, which I'm always grateful for. It makes them feel a little more wuja-y, and I'm here for any given thing that is more wuja than it could otherwise be. Like the part in Breaking Dawn Part 2 where they rip that man's face in half. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> but no blood, so it's fine. Yeah. Whereas I, like, I love ridiculous over-the-top gore, so I'm a little disappointed that it kind of just feels weird and out of place here. That's fair. You, and you definitely loved uh, some parts of Breaking Dawn. Some parts. Was, the, the movies do get gory. The book is actually, it's worse in the book. <laughs> it's actually more, because I remember when they were making those movies, I was like, how are they going to do that? Because in the book, it's a lot. <laughs> is it Breaking Dawn uh, time then? I have one more thing I need to okay. talk about okay, sure. Eclipse. So it's revealed that Edward doesn't have a bed. It has to get one for Bella to stay over there. And this led to a very long conversation between Jackson and I. It's like, but where do all the vampire couples fuck if they don't have beds in their house? Well, Edward's like, a virgin. <laughs> we just, we just don't, Edward, did, did, did they say the others don't have beds? Well, why would he have to purchase a bed? Like, he could just have her stay in the other room because no one else is there. It's those two alone. Well, maybe he's just like, well, I don't want to fuck on my vampire parents' bed. <laughs> But he doesn't want to fuck at all. That's true. So we have the fear that there's but just he like... he knows they did it. <laughs> and he's a pure boy. That's true. I think it's the idea that there's only one bed in the entire Cullen house and they have like a chore wheel for who gets to use it that night. Yeah, it's just the communal fuck bed. Good. Glad, glad that happened. Also, circling back to the world and their telepathy, to, to quote Babylon 5. Do you know what it's like when telepaths make love, Commander? So I assume that Everett is like, it's a projection. Like, oh God, not again. Please. <laughs> Please, I'm trying to read. I'm trying to read the newest Dresden files, Jacob. What are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember if in the book there's any sort of indication that they can control it at all. And I don't remember. I think literally it's just all of them all the time. Hmm. Which seems like you'd go kind of nuts. Well, when they talk about <laughs> it in the next film, it's that connection is cut off immediately when they decide I'm leaving the pack. Right, so it's a pack Thing. So mm. I'm guessing it's kind of just, it's an always-on feature. <laughs> oh, God. And they also talk about it in, with Leah, because Leah is a werewolf and used to be dating Sam before he imprinted on Emily. Yes, mm. and, and she's how it's, And yeah, and how awkward it is for her. So yeah, it must just, I think that at least is sometimes low level. It just gets higher when the emotions are higher, but mm. werewolf emotions are high. Oh, no. <laughs> She didn't Call. think through the implications. Yeah. I can't remember if Eclipse or Breaking Dawn is the one that has like a lot of really exploration of the werewolves and their weird messed up psychology and world building stuff that makes it feel like a sort of tragic indie film. I think that's Breaking Dawn. Are you talking about when they're hanging out like on the beach and Lee's yeah. talking? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's Eclipse. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I couldn't remember. Yeah. And it's this weird like existential questioning and like... I don't know what this is doing for the plot, but I'm fascinated yeah. by it. Because the yeah, werewolves like the... are all happy and together in Eclipse, and that's not the case in Breaking Dawn Part that's 1. True. That's right. true. Right. We should probably get into Breaking Dawn Part 1. Who wants to summarize that one? <laughs> Edward and Bella get married. And they fuck. Finally. <laughs> it they... was a graveyard smash. <laughs> I mean, as a high school girl who was reading these books as they came out, I don't think you understand how badly we needed this. <laughs> 
Like, this was the height of sexual tension for me. <laughs> I needed it so badly. And in the books, you don't get much. It's kind of like a they kiss and then she wakes up the next morning covered in feathers. And I wanted to die. Um, but then again, I also wanted to die watching in the movie because, oh my God, so much of Breaking Dawn Part 1 is about Edward and Bella doing it. Done already? Like a lot of stuff? And I'm like, you're babies. You're little baby children. I can't look at this. <laughs> then there's a complication because Bella gets pregnant. Somehow. True love. I think canon that it's like their, their love was so true that they became pregnant. I weirdly don't know a lot about this, actually. Okay. And then the rest of the film is dealt dealing with the complication of Bella being pregnant with a half-vampire child, what that child's going to be like when it survives, and whether the werewolves are going to kill it or not. Yes. It is a horror movie. It is not dissimilar to Alien in that there's this, like, potentially scary thing growing inside of you, and everyone has thoughts about it. There's even this CSI cinematic during the birth scene. (laughs) They really didn't know how they wanted to do this birth scene, because it is incredibly gruesome in the books. I mean, in the books, her labor is so... I mean, they kind of show it a little bit, but they don't say it. In the books, she breaks her spine in half when she goes into labor, and... I feel like they didn't do this in the movie because it was kind of weird. Because in the book, the scalpel and, like, the needles and everything can't pierce her stomach. Because her stomach has become vampire skin, (laughs) which is super hard, like diamonds. And only vampire teeth can get through it. Well, they do mention that they can't look at the child because... uh, Ultrasounds won't... Yeah. I'm not sure. Ultrasounds and needles won't penetrate the embryonic sac. Which doesn't make any sense. They're sound waves. (laughs) But then you do... We do see Rosalie cutting into Bella... Right, because she can't handle like his blood. So she has yes, to yeah, so she has to freak out. And then, but then Edward still does get in there, and I don't know why in the movie, because in the book it's because he has to bite the baby out, because the only thing that can pierce vampire skin is vampire teeth. <laughs> and so he has to bite the baby out. And I know he, I kind of fast forwarded a little bit because I could not handle it. <laughs> he definitely does like a bite down. Why? <laughs> in the movie, does it say? Uh, there's <laughs> some reason, I I think, like, the scalpel breaks or something like that. I don't remember. I just remember, like, oh, this is the whole weird thing where he bites into her uterus. I remember people telling me that was in the books. That's super weird. Also, doing research, they actually talked to, like, an OB-GYN and a midwife about where he would have to bite to actually get that her uterus. I was like, wow, you put way too much effort into this very dumb thing. And I kind of appreciate it. But no, I do feel like Pain Down Part 1 really does go for the horror aspect. I mean, okay, so... Pregnancy is body horror to me anyway. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. But just because, like, they really go for it with emaciating Bella. Mm-hmm. Like, she gets scary thin. Yeah, I can't know if it's, like, makeup or CGI or if uh, Kristen least... Stewart, like, lost a lot of weight or what. But... I think it has to be at least some CGI. Okay. Because especially when they show her at the end she, like, after she's, like, yeah. dead, <clears throat> she's, like, skeletal. Yeah. And then she's fine, like, two seconds later. So mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping they did not do that to Kristen Stewart yeah. in real life. Probably not. But it looks very, like, it looks really good. That is a really good monster movie magic. And the thing I like about the horror pregnancy thing is because, so everybody's like, we don't know what this baby's going to be. This is scary. And the ultrasound, they can't see it. So it's like the mystery of the unknown. And Alice can't see it in her visions. Which is all really spooky and fun. That all gets resolved when Edward's able to read the baby's mind. It's like, oh, we were freaking out for nothing. This is actually really sweet. Yay. Let's go back to the beginning. So this film opens up with one of the least subtle scenes in film. It's up there with the Ace of Hearts scene from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, is it the dream? No, it is where 
It is raining. Jacob throws open the door, <laughs> takes off his shirt in the rain, and we see him throw down the wedding invitation to Bella and Edward's wedding. And I had to pause and laugh for a good minute or so. I, I just love it how werewolves strip off their shirts when they're angry and sad. They need to go cry in the rain. Same. <laughs> Sometimes your emotions are too big and your clothes are restrictive and also you need to go turn into a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> a thing I should really like about the opening, so Bella has a nightmare about marrying Edward, not becoming a vampire, and like everybody aging and like withering to dust around her while he stays the same. And it's like spooky. Then when they get married, they're saying their vows and everybody vanishes because it's just them when the world has fallen away. And it's actually really sweet. Uh-huh. It's really nice and I like that. That was a good bit. The films consistently do a great job with their dream sequences. They're always really interesting and really just ephemeral. Yeah. I really like them. That's a thing that all the films do consistently. If they have dream sequences, they're really well done. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of them come back to the same space where Bella and Edward are in this like field of flowers. Yeah, that field's really important in the books. One thing I do have to say about Breaking Dawn Part 1 and, and Part 2, they are both pretty short films they clock in just under two hours okay and both of them are feel very bloated but i don't think you could combine them into one film just because of how disparate the two halves are they don't have similar themes and it just doesn't work so i feel for the production like there's not quite enough material here to make two films but these two halves of the book are so different, we can't really combine them into one movie and have it feel cohesive. Yeah, and also, I can't remember. Did Twilight start the splitting the last movie into two, or was that Harry no, Potter? No, Harry Potter. Who got there first. Yeah, we looked it um, up, too. Yeah, I was thinking about that watching it this time, because I remember when they first said, oh, it's going to be two movies. It was at that point where everything was going to be two movies, and you were like, oh, my God, okay. But, yeah, watching it this time, I was like, okay, this does make sense, because these are two very different stories, and if you tried to combine them together it would just feel crowded Mm -hmm. and you would not be able to concentrate on anything but also that means we got the longest birth scene in the history of the world (laughs) yeah the breaking down part two feels like sort of the aggregate of the mcu films roughly Mm. and breaking down part one feels like it's made by the guy who made the lobster (laughs) (laughs) which are very different tones but they're directed by the same guy what (laughs) yes that can't be right. You're lying to me. Nope. The only person to direct two Twilight films. Breaking Down the Book also has a kind of like disjointed. Fe- it's not the best one, <laughs> is what I'll say. Sure. But I don't think I agree with you. Like, the, the, there wouldn't be a good way to combine them because, like, what would be the theme here? Like, the only through line is Renezme, and Renezme is not a character. <laughs> Renezme is a plot device. I have a lot about Renezme. <laughs> Have you seen the animatronic that almost was Renesmee? No, I haven't. Please take a moment. Google animatronic Renesmee. If this is in the podcast, listeners, Google animatronic Renesmee. Because... Oh, no! Because the CGI Renesmee that we get, because I guess they couldn't find a baby. So bad. It's so, like, upset. I mean, because... Oh dear! There's a video. There's like a video clip oh, no. where Rosalie is holding her, and you can see because it's a real animatronic thing, and you can see the actress for Rosalie just looking like her soul is leaving her body. She's smiling like, "Yay, baby!" <laughs> she looks horrified. It's so funny, but that's what she almost was. But then they just. 
why <laughs> couldn't they just get a baby? There are, there are babies that act. I've seen them. <laughs> they, and the thing is, like with Renesmee, like going through both movies, they CGI her at almost every point in her life. And it's like, they know there are people who just look similar, right? right. They didn't you need... And one of them is also like the girl they actually use, but slightly younger. So they CGI her face instead of just using the same girl. Or it's like different hairstyle or whatever. Yeah, there are many ways to make a person look younger. Mm-hmm. So it's just, this is one of the places where I'm like, did they just have too much budget? And it's easier for the fight scenes. <laughs> it is a CGI choice that baffles me. And that every moment that a baby was on my screen, I was just like, please go <laughs> away. Which makes it worse when we get the whole Jacob imprinting scene. Okay, I actually, I have a, a praise for that scene. I don't mind the dream sequence and like the future vision stuff that's going on afterwards, but the whole locking eyes with the baby. Falling to his knees. <laughs> See, I actually really like falling to his knees. I think that's a really pretty shot where you have this oh, okay. guy who's like very like humbled by the awe of this experience. He just falls to his knees and like, and Rosalie holding the baby. Possibly after having looked all the blood off of it. I'm not really sure why she was holding the baby that way. I mean, I know why she was holding the baby that way. For effect. Yeah. But not a natural way to hold a baby. No. Um, uh, also, the, the baby is clean of blood really quickly. I'm really sure she looked it all off. That's why I started and sticking to it. No, that makes sense to me, actually. It's true in the books, too, but also in the movies. They never really seem to know how to deal with the imprinting. Because I think they understand... How creepy that is <laughs> and so they try to be like oh no he's just whatever she needs him to be in the moment and it's like so he's gonna be her brother and then later her husband <laughs> and that's better <laughs> i would explain how imprinting works on the podcast for those who are blissfully unaware imprinting is a thing werewolves do a werewolf sees someone imprints on them it's like a soulmate sort of thing but in a real big way because it's a permanent intense bond where I think if you kill the person that the werewolf imprinted on, the werewolf dies Mm -hmm. and it's unbreakable. And it also has an effect on their biology. I'm going to go into this in the movie, but Jacob stops aging. He literally stops aging to wait for Renesmee to catch up with him. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine Alex's face right now. You know how sometimes authors need to explain too much and there's all this stuff that stephanie meyer doesn't explain with the world building which we were talking about earlier you know what she decided to explain (laughs) why jacob and bella were ever had any romantic feelings for each other it's because the egg that would one day become renesmee influenced Bella into loving Jacob and influenced Jacob into loving Bella okay and as soon as renesmee was born those feelings disappear That's canon. <laughs> is that in the books or is that like postscript, like Twitter bullshit? Um, no, it's a little of both, but it is, there is definitely canonical evidence in the books and in the movies because Jacob has whole lines talking about how. Do you remember how much you wanted to be around me three days ago? That's gone now, right? Long gone. Because it was her. And there is definite stuff to say that that was their entire relationship and i've seen some fan posts theorizing it's because by the end of the books stephanie meyer hated every character except for (laughs) jacob because she also has talked about how she doesn't want to write anything more about bella and edward and she like she's talking about writing jacob and renesme books and she was just Hmm. trying to give jacob a happy ending now and just fuck everything else the the highest law of the werewolves is that you can't kill someone that they've imprinted on and that 
That's how the whole tension between the werewolves wanting to kill this human-vampire hybrid and everyone not wanting them to do that is resolved. Jacob imprints on her, and so she is safe, because Ho is before everything else. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was weird that that was, like, their highest law. It was like, that we never heard of until that now. That we had never ho- heard of at all before. They had a chance to tell us both those things, because they have whole conversations about imprinting. They sure do. They just don't. Because yeah. it would be more dramatic, I guess. I guess. Like, except it wouldn't be even more dramatic if we knew. Right. And there's this danger now. imprint and go, oh, so what's that going to mean? Are they going to break that law for the safety of everyone else? Because they don't know what Renee Anthony is going to be. Which I wish that, because that would have been a cool tension where they have to really grapple with, we shouldn't kill her because it's one of our laws, but she's potentially dangerous. She's an unknown quantity. So they have to really battle with, what do we do here? But instead they're just like, well, shit. And there's so much chaff and dead air in the beginning of the film. Like, if you would have spent more time on the climax and that tension there, it would have been, I think, a much more successful film. I agree. I did think that ending was kind of sudden. Yes. I mean, I have been deadened to sudden endings after all of the classic monster movies that I've watched, but it's definitely the most sudden ending of the five films. It's definitely think a lot more about all of the scenes that went on too long the cpr scene went on for a really long i was just like i know she comes back to life but this is going on for a really long also time. i have to ask the question why does the syringe full of vampire venom look like a syringe full of semen this is the come of a killer bella <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. oh no <laughs> um because of reasons that's what I got. <laughs> Breaking Dawn Part 1 does that. Sorry, I was going to say, I had to imagine they had to milk Edward. <laughs> <laughs> like a snake. <laughs> they just had like a false deer carcass that he stuck his fangs into. Yeah, you know. Pretty much. Um, oh, wow. I have no idea what I was going to say. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. We can just move on to Breaking Dawn Part 2. It's very suddenly like the film does. And this is the one where Bella has finally become a vampire as she's wanted for the entire entirety of these films. Yeah. She gets to have amazingly blended eyeshadow. <laughs> Wonderfully. Like, she, she just, she looks great. So she wakes up and she, like, has that supervision and she's like, zooming in on all these things and we can see, like, these beautifully rendered microscopic things yeah. going on around her. But she also looks at Edward kind of, like, up and down with him. And then there's a crotch zoom. <laughs> Listen, I think the thing that we learn the most, really, about Bella throughout these movies is Bella's horny. <laughs> like, that's really a main focus in, like, Eclipse and Breaking Dawn Part 1. Like, a lot of it is Bella. Oh, yeah. Bella wants it. Bella, <laughs> Bella wants the D. She wants Dracula. it very bad. Yeah. <laughs> God. Um, oh. It's nothing that like, I feel like people talk about Bella being a blank slate. I'm like, no, no, she has wants and desires. They, yeah. They're there. I think it's less that they're, they're not unique wants and desires, though. They're the wants and desires of many uh, high school-aged women. And that the thing that people harp on is she is incredibly relatable to everyone in that age demographic because she doesn't have any unique features. She has features, but it's kind of like factory standard. Mm. I can see that. I do like 
Books, I think, do it a little less because Stephanie Meyer is Mormon. But the movies really, really lean into her sexuality and actually like that mm-hmm. a lot because you don't really get to see with women in general, much yeah. less teenage girls, really showing that it's like, no, they want it. Yeah. Like, she wants it more than Edward does. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I noticed it before, but on this rewatch, I was really pleasantly surprised the fact that she's, and she's very open about it. She talks about it. Mm-hmm. I also liked, like, she had conversations with her parents about it. Her mother was very casual mm-hmm. about just, like, oh, you're being safe. But Charlie was less casual about it, but it did give us that great scene where Bella just yells, Dad, I'm a virgin. <laughs> and her dad has to go die in the woods. <laughs> um, it's refreshingly open about sex. Yeah. Although surprisingly, these last two films, they, for the most part, abandon the whole shirtless werewolf thing. A lot, yeah. They're a lot more clothed all of the time now. Well, because now they really want you to know it's Edward. They really, they don't want you to look at Jacob anymore. <laughs> they don't want you to think of Jacob as a sexual being who was also bonded with this <laughs> A lot of his screen time is as a wolf mm-hmm. now. Oh, in general, the, since Eclipse, there's been a lot more, like, screen time of them as wolves. I'm like, was CGI just cheaper than paying the actors? I think it had, to, but also, okay, I was thinking about this, because there's pictures of pre-CGI wolves with Taylor Lautner in, like, a body motion. Yeah, in one of those. So I was like, in all these parts for wolves, did they have... Were they in the mocap suits? Were they on all fours? How, what was this? Why did they need the people there? But there's pictures of him in a mocap suit and her, like, patting him on the head and it looks really dumb. So... Yeah. What? I don't know how they did it. I don't, I mean, I don't know. That's also, I think, from, like, the first film. And I think they maybe didn't do that as much. Because there's an entire scene in Breaking Dawn Part 1 where the werewolves are figuring out what to do after Jacob finds out that Bella's pregnant. And they're all just, like, in wolf form in, like, this abandoned logging facility. <laughs> By and the water where you keep And the they're logs. all just, like, talking telepathically. And this is the first time we hear the wolves talking telepathically. And it's very weird. Also, I'm going to walk back what I said earlier about yay putting native actions on screen when most of them are wolves it's that like princess and the frog problem yep i'll take even that back well um we should probably give a quick summary of breaking dawn part two part two yeah so one of the cullen's cousins like is not super keen on werewolves and is kind of shitty to them at their wedding and then we never see her again until this film where she is stopping by for a visit i guess and sees renesmee and like oh but the Cullens have turned a child, which is against our laws, and goes and tattles on them to the Voltori, and yeah. they begin preparing for war. Basically. Man, how great would it have been if... How great would it have been if earlier in the films... Hey, Bella, we can't turn you until you're 18. It's a vampire law. Bad things happen if we do. Foreshadow that. Let that be, like, a seed that is put in. That could do a lot to sow those seeds, so it's not just like, oh, our greatest law, no no babies. <laughs> Here's this flashback where Dakota Fanning put a child into a pyre. That was good. A vampire. No. <laughs> yeah, we don't need those medieval flashbacks. But don't we? <laughs> I just said I enjoyed them. Because Michael Sheen has some great expressions in those. He looks <laughs> manic. It's so good. Michael Sheen is very fun as Arrow, the like, Voltori King guy. To finish the summary, the Cullens build up this, like, army of wacky misfits friends that we've never heard of and then they and the Volturi fight but they don't actually fight because they're using their powers to like project a vision of the future where the Volturi lose and the Volturi are like oh, maybe let's not man yeah also oh. in the battle scene the elemental vampire cracks open the earth so far you see lava mm-hmm. and I just like that I just wanted to talk about it <laughs> I'm really sad the vampire fight scene isn't 
more fun. Like, we don't really get that much, like, cool power to it. I feel it could have been, like, a really fun... It's not enough for you to see lava. Lava's great. I'm all for Lava Boy here. Also, someone, I can't remember which vampire, Jasper, gets his head karate chopped off. Literally, one of the Volturi just goes, eh, karate chop, <laughs> head falls off. Yeah. Which, if it was that... Is it that easy That's, to kill a vampire? His his power is karate. I guess the Volturi are very good my, at it. My biggest problem with that whole fight scene is we get a few aerial shots showing off like the, the two armies like running at each other, and it's it's all these like black figures on this like snowy white background, <laughs> and it's just so empty looking. I have two thoughts whenever I see those scenes. One, there are dozens of us, dozens, or the photos of the Trump inauguration. <laughs> Yeah. The camera's just zoomed way too far out. When I was watching it, it's the very end. It's after he has decided not to start the battle because Alice has shown him he'll die. Arrow. Yeah. And they bring out the other half vampire kid. And they're like really far away. And I'm just imagining how long they had to stand there while they walked up. <laughs> Although I guess they are, are half vampires as fast as vampires? Because they show them just walking. We see Renesme hovering, so I assume they have some kind of powers. When do we see Renesme hovering? When the Cullen cousins like sees her flying. That's the I what's... wasn't paying attention, I guess. <laughs> Jesus. I just saw yeah, her. They, like... they were playing up like the oh, snow. Oh, that's right. That's right. And I mean, she, she, she's just hovering. It's not that impressive. But... <laughs> Wait, but other vampires can't hover, can they? No, so it's really weird. That never comes up again. Yeah, and also, isn't her power to be able to just, like, touch you and she, show you things? One thing that I wish the film got into more, and super interesting, Nessie and Arrow pretty much have the exact opposite powers. Yes! It's pretty cool! <laughs> like, Arrow is able to touch someone and view all of their memories, whereas Nessie is able to freely give the, her memories to other people. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. And I wish they did more with that, but they don't, because no. Stephanie Meyer doesn't think that hard. You mentioning Nessie means that we have to get into the best line in, in this or any movie. Nessie? You nicknamed my daughter after the Loch Ness Monster? I have that written up at my desk at work, because oh. it is pulling me through my life. I love Kristen Stewart's <laughs> shouting voice in that scene. The thing is, though... Yes, because it's a better fucking name than Renesme. It's such a bad name. Why did no one stop you? <laughs> EJ was also bad. <laughs> oh my god, that was very bad. I mean, I kind of hate that even worse, because Edward Jacob makes me think of Albus Severus. Um, <laughs> which, also, is, which is worse than Renesme. Like, yeah, I have this kid. I'll name him after both the guys I was in a love triangle with in high school. <laughs> okay. That's how I name children. Name him after your fucking dad. Charlie Jacob. CJ. Works so much better. That actually would be a lot better. Yeah, that's better. actually not bad. <laughs> yeah. Charlie's Charlie's a weird name for a vampire, but whatever. Yeah, I also love that, yeah, yo, if she's a daughter, we're going to name her after our two moms. But if it's a boy, yeah, my two love interests, not our two dads. I mean, Charlie Carlisle would have not worked well. Charlisle. Charlisle. Char <laughs> that's the all in the gender swap version we never got. Charlie. Ray Jepsen. <laughs> With the battle scene, I, I have like really conflicting feelings about it having been fake the entire time and having it be a vision from Alice. Because on the one hand, I really like it because I don't want Carlisle to die. And the first time I saw this movie, I didn't know they did this. And I didn't know how much they changed from the books. So I remembered in the book, you don't get anything like that. You literally just get Alice saying, you'll lose. And they're like, 
okay, (laughs) bye. And they just walk. It's the most anticlimactic thing in the world. And so I didn't know what they would change. So when Carlisle got beheaded, I was like, no. (laughs) I thought maybe they'd really done it. Yeah, I was like right there with you. Like, oh, thought this was like a non-conflict in the books. I guess they changed it here. And then it was the whole, it was all a dream. Yeah, so it's like, on the one side, I like they gave us a battle scene. It's important thing. I think it's a pretty cool battle scene in a lot of ways. I think there are things they could have done more, but I think there are a lot of things that are really cool. Yeah. The jaw rip is one. I love the jaw rip. The jaw rip is the... It's the, very satisfying. It's the best scene in that fight. Like, And I love a good jaw rip. And it's like, it's like yeah. his jaw slowly turning to, to like diamonds as they're doing that. Yeah. It was very good. And like I liked getting that when I didn't get that in the books, because when I first read that book... It was incredibly disappointing. Well, in general, Stephanie Meyer has never, she's never written those sorts of scenes. For the most part, in all the previous books, Bella is away from the fighting or knocked out for the fighting. So we just get the before and then the after. And so that's always been one of the ways the films get to play around with the canon is they can kind of do whatever they want with those scenes. Because Stephanie Meyer clearly doesn't like writing battle scenes. Because I actually think is I super recognize what she was doing because I did the same thing in a story wrote when I was 12. Because I had led up to this giant battle between all these people and all these like mystical creatures. And then I realized I have to write it though. And so I decided that the whole thing had actually been like they were filming a movie or something and it just cut off there and they were like okay that's enough filming for today I didn't have to do the final battle scene (laughs) but I was also 12 I like that we get it in the movie but I also think that anything that is like and it was a dream will always feel kind of like you've been conned it's cheap shock with them killing off a lot of the characters yeah yeah (laughs) but I'm also, but I'm also then happy that they're alive. So it's like I, I come away, but I mean, because also like it's Twilight. I don't think do any main characters die in the entire series. Uh, mm. No, no. Yeah, because Twilight is a ha- ultimately a happy story. Right. Like it is ultimately, it's there to be a happy ever after story in the end. Mm. The only characters who die are the <laughs> evil vampire trio from the beginning and all of the newborns. And like, um, Harry Clearwater and does Jacob's dad die? No. No. One thing I will say for the vision thing, it means that we do get objective canon proof that Carlisle and Jasper and I think Jacob, did Jacob die during that whole thing? We get like canon proof that they are, are all willing to die for this cause, which I think is pretty cool. I appreciate the film saying that, yes, these characters do care this much. It's nice. Like we actually see how much they believe in yeah. this. Yeah. It's, there's also this weird dichotomy between that whole scene and like killing off all these characters that people who have followed the series love versus at the end of the film, kind of the retrospective looking back on all these films and kind of this like send off, look at how far we've come. Let's fondly remember back on everything. And there's this tension between those two ideas of like, we want to completely rip away all of your expectations and then finish off with, oh no, like here, nostalgia. Mm. It's weird. I'm not sure how I feel about the whole... I'm glad we got a battle scene. I just wish it was more of kind of like a scrimmage, no one dies, and then Alice comes in. It's like, you're going to lose. Yeah, like maybe they start to fight, mm-hmm. but Alice interrupts or something. I feel like it has to be hard to figure out how to finish this kind of a thing because Twilight was a huge cultural moment, mm-hmm. kind of like Harry Potter. Although at least with Twilight, it actually, they let it end. Mm-hmm. They let Twilight end. There is no more Twilight coming. <laughs> That we know of. Uh, there's rumors about her writing Jacob and Renesmee books, but... Oh, yeah, you said that. Oops. We got, like, Life and life After Death or Life and Death or whatever. Yeah. But for the most part, Stephanie Meyer has let Twilight end. And I feel like it has to be really hard 
to know how to finish that sort of thing because you want the fans to be satisfied, but you also don't want to go too far into fan service. But also you do, I mean, personally, I like fan service. I like to be served in certain situations, especially with Twilight, where they're already pretty cheesy movies, you know? I love the entire second act of Endgame. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I have watched the opening with the portals and everyone coming through so many times, and I cry every time. (laughs) It's, it's, It's weird how much this final battle scene and like all that cleanup feels like an mcu film yeah it totally does and there's a lot of fighting a lot of powers and the choreography for the fight is just they're all in an open space and there's no real progress towards anything honestly i will say the fight choreography is worse than most mcu films but that's also just because they don't have nearly as much budget oh sure but also endgame fun movie the battle scene is just a brawl. I don't have a sense of where everybody's geography is. It's kind of yeah. like in Battle of the Five Armies where people are just fighting. There's not like a motion towards it. I can't like make a diagram of where the armies are and how that affects the plot. The only thing that matters in the final endgame battle is where is Carol. Yes, that's true. Just map everything around Carol and you're good. Exactly. Speaking of important people, Rami Malek is here playing Elemental Vampire. <laughs> yes! Uh, Lee Pace is here. Playing Vampire who fights. Yeah. Other actors who matter. We talked about Michael Sheen already, but in this movie, he's very excited about like grabbing everybody's hands to get their, their <laughs> memories. I feel like Michael Sheen's character has like just 10,000 group chats and he needs that dish. <laughs> totally does. Anyway, Kristen Stewart has a lot of good like physical acting when she's trying to pretend to be a human. Like It's really funny watching her I try to like, like breathe. I did, I did like the whole scene of them trying to teach her to be human. I thought that was very charming. Yeah. Hold your breath. It'll help with the thirst. Just don't forget to move your shoulders so it looks like you're breathing. Although this film also like has a Stephanie Meyer staple, they, we introduce a bunch of super interesting characters that nothing gets done with. Nothing at all. <laughs> nope. Like, Here, here's a cool person from a cool place with a cool power. You want to know more about them? Too bad. Because <laughs> so you can find really detailed backstories for a lot of them. Probably on the wikis. Yeah. So you probably can find them, but we don't get them ourselves. So what's the point? I was going to look up the one with the shocking powers, but I can't remember her actual name because in my notes I just wrote her down as Bjork. Which is Irina's not the... sister. Yeah. That Lee Pace works with. Sure. I actually really love Lee Pace here. He... <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> he he, he's this great uh, vampire who's like really angry at the British over the Revolutionary War still. <laughs> <laughs> and he is just this deadbeat punk vampire. Like, the prototypical bruja, if if you're familiar with BTM terminology. He, I feel like he'd be a very good uh, John Constantine. Yes. Oh, I could see that. Mm. But he kind of like hits it off with this vampire with electricity powers, and he definitely has a kick for it by the end of the film. <laughs> Can we talk about, it's that Stephanie Meyer moment of like, you get a piece of this, and I'm like, give me more. Those Russian vampires? Oh, yeah. Who were like, we sat somewhere still for so long we started petrifying? Yeah, that was so cool. <gasps> what? I know. And and they were apparently like the ruling vampire authority before the Volturi, and that's all we get. Yeah. Is they have lived for apparently thousands upon thousands upon thousands of yeah. years, and they've been waiting 1,500 years to get back at the Volturi, and that's why at the end they're like, can we kill them? What's more worth <laughs> Another thing that gets brought up and doesn't really get addressed but sounds really fun is how Arrow has a whole speech about how, like, humans pose a threat to our kind. Their modern technology 
has given birth to weapons that could destroy us. Maintaining our secret has never been more imperative. We've never seen anybody like use a gun in a vampire. Would that work? That sounds exciting. <laughs> I assumed he was talking about nukes. Oh, sure, that too. But well, also, new guns work on vampires. I mean, if you shoot a marble, it, it boom. See, what's interesting also is in the books, my memory is that to kill a vampire, you have to dismember them, which is why they're always tearing them apart. Which also that one super old vampire who art Volturi who already looks like he's dead in the fight <laughs> scene when the when people come at him to kill him he's like finally yes what a fascinating <laughs> character bit that we don't get because he already the entire time he just already looks like he's dead inside but anyway I'm pretty sure in the books they say you have to like dismember them and burn them mm-hmm. and in the movie it seems to be you just have to behead them they're like zombies. I'm guessing it's the thing that, like, um, if you behead them, like, they can reform eventually, but it takes them a hot minute. So the plan, mm. like, whoever won, they're going to burn the corpses. I would buy that. Yeah, that, yeah. Makes, that makes sense Especially to me. Especially since vampires are apparently super fucking flammable. Yeah, the vampire venom is most nitroglycerin. Maybe. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, for this film, the build-up towards this big fight is actually pretty fun and tense. There's a direness to the filmmaking quality and everybody's acting is very tense. It's really fun. And even if it doesn't all pay off as much as it could have, I still felt that tension in the air. Yeah. We, we talked about this with Breaking Dawn Part 1. Breaking Dawn Part 2 also has the problem. Its runtime is just under two hours. They were struggling to get there. I do think that this film does a better job of filling in the space because you have so many more characters to play mm. off of. You have so many more like tiny little character moments. You have Bella learning to use her powers. They do a better job of filling in that space than the previous film did. I also actually, one thing I really liked is how they did play up how big the taboo of the immortal child is. Because mm. I liked the way that when other vampires saw it, they were like freaked out. Yeah. What the fuck did you do? This is not okay. Because yeah. it's sort of thing where there's, I feel like there are like rules in vampire society, but there are ones that they're clearly more willing to break or ones they're clearly more willing to bend. Like Victoria had no qualms about just building a newborn army, even though I'm sure she thought the Volturi would notice. She mm-hmm. didn't care. Whereas making a mortal child, that was just beyond the pale to any of them, even the ones who kill people. All right, how uh, do we want to close this out? Because we've talked a lot. I think my broad thought is that while parts of these movies have deep troubles, and a lot of them which are kind of baked in, I still really enjoy them. They're incredibly fun. They're really, really fun to watch. They're very watchable with a group, too. Like I would not sit down and watch this movie... I would toss this these movies on at like a party just to have in the background during certain scenes like hey this thing's about to happen. I think that's a better way to watch these films than like all the way through. I think in general the first one is still probably my favorite. I think it's the strongest. Mm-hmm. And I think for my least favorite is probably New Moon. I think it's the weakest and Jacob's just a terrible human being in that one. See, I feel like New Moon is my favorite, but mostly because I love Bella's depression is like a very emotional like connection for me to that. I love Edward trying. I also love him trying to commit suicide by sparkling. And <laughs> I love the Volturi. I love them. I want they're so bonkers. I want to join an Italian vampire cult. And I think the introduction to them is really good. 
I just, I don't know. I love the whole introduction of the Volturi. I love Bella's recklessness. I love all of that. I also love before he gets weird. Bella and Jacob's friendship is so good. It is. It's so sweet. Like Yeah, he, I will agree there. Until it gets weird. Yeah. Because it does. But until then, it's like, I love watching him heal her. And I do also genuinely agree. Like, I think Jacob says something to Edward where it's like, if you had just stayed away... Like, give me a few more months and she would have been fine. And I agree with that. I think that, like, had they been given more time just to them, she would have been able to get over Edward. And even though Jacob has his own issues, I think they could have been good for each other. But I'm team Jacob, so... <laughs> I like New Moon a lot, but it ends with... And I think oh, yeah. that makes it, like, less strong as a thing, but I think the parts that work work really well about it. Is Eclipse the one that ends with Edward being like, marry me? Yeah, And Bella being one. like... <gasps> I was trying to rank them until we get to Breaking Dawns and they're so weird as movies that it's like I have like first place, second place, third place, C place, L place. Like just... <laughs> and I have no problems giving these like top five ranking. My favorite is first Twilight, then Eclipse, then Breaking Dawn Part 2, then Breaking Dawn Part 1, and then New Moon. Mm. Yeah, I don't know how I would rank it. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I rank things weird because I, I tend to come down to, like, what's my emotional reaction? But, which is not always the same as what's a good movie. Mm-hmm. I'd have to go, like, go through, back through and check for a few things, but I feel like I rank them based on the, the best bad line in each movie. <laughs> um, so, so it goes, This is the skin of a killer, Bill. Oh, baby, I should lock this monster. And let's face it. I am hotter than you. And then I'm not sure where the other two fall, so yeah. I mean, New Moon has the... I lied. I had to lie. You believe me so easily. That's true. Why? Yeah, absolutely, all the time. Lie better. Are also very good. Uh, I feel like you could make a drinking game, actually, especially out of the first one and the first two, (laughs) really out of the first two, of watching how Kristen and Robert react to their own lines. And just like, anytime it looks like they're in pain, take a shot. (laughs) I really want to watch it with commentary, because I've seen clips of them with commentary, and Robert Pattinson is just like, he hates them. (laughs) And he's super open about it. And I need to watch it at some point. Mm Well, I think that about <laughs> concludes our retrospective on the Twilight films. The, the long, long road through Twilight. It, is, it has been a trip. But thank you for joining us, Thanks Sarah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I like to talk about Twilight. <laughs> if people want to hear you talk about more about Twilight or other things, where can they find you? Uh, I have a website, sarahhollowell.com, where you can find basically anything else about me. That will link to my Twitter, which I'm on a break from right now because I'm on big revisions for my book that I need to finish soon. But I have various things written elsewhere. I wrote a whole series about Pretty Little Liars for the website Frolic. I have stuff on Huffington Post. And I have fiction from Fireside Magazine and most recently on the No Sleep podcast, which was super exciting for me. Mm-hmm. So, And I have a Patreon. Please give me money. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> and we'll make sure to uh, link to your website in the episode description. Yes. So that does it for Twilight. What do we have coming up next week? Next week, assuming we can swing it, we've got Mike Noel coming back to join us as we talk about Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. That's a good combo. I know, yeah. This is our Seth Graham Smith special, and we hope you'll join us for that. Further down the pipeline, we might get back to Disney stuff since Frozen 2 is coming out, and it looks interesting at the very least. We're getting back to Disney stuff because Frozen 2 is coming out. <laughs> and 
it looks great. It looks so good. <laughs> that probably won't be out exactly the week after the Seth Graham Smith special, but it will probably be out sometime in late November, early December. We might take a break. We haven't had a week off in a long time. <laughs> uh, since we started the uh, comics bracket. And then probably sometime in early to mid-January, we'll start back up with our next bracket. So, if you want to catch any of that, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Podbean, or Spotify. Once again, this has been the Gratuitous Popping Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.